walking up my own hill with Elsa in the dripping trees. I thought of you and it's Thursday, so hopefully you managed to enjoy yourself on Tuesday and maybe gave yourself another rest yesterday. Let me know. Hi, Helen. Thanks for your message. Yeah, I'm feeling good, thank you. I have taken what you said on board and have been making sure that I've been doing the reflex exercises twice a day. This weekend, I'm going up to Yorkshire with my son. So we're doing two of the three peaks on a Saturday. Plan to walk that. And then on the Sunday, I'm meeting up with a friend who I hope to do the Bob Graham round with. And it may be more of a walk up and run down the hills with him. So that'll be a bit of a test, I suppose, for the Achilles. So if you have any advice regarding that, you know, if you think it's way too soon to try something like that, then I I won't, I'll make it just more of a hike. Okay, my gut reaction was confused face emoji to the Sunday's downhill running activities. So my suggestion is to go with the flow. Enjoy your hiking on Saturday, wake up on Sunday and listen carefully to how your body feels. I think my job here is to save you from yourself. Crying with laughter face emoji. Twice. Hi, and welcome to our podcast about the Bob Graham Round. A 66-ish mile run in the Lake District up and over 42 of England's tallest mountains in under 24 hours. Recorded throughout 2018 and 2019, this is an audio account of a year preparing for and attempting the BGR. These are our Bob Graham sounds. November 2018, and I'm getting impatient. I want to have a go at the Bob Graham in June, seven months away, and my right Achilles is still too sore for me to run properly. We've all been there, haven't we? Knowing that you haven't fully recovered from your injury or illness, but hoping that you'll somehow get away with going for a run. Miraculously, it'll all just fall back into place. Well, in this case, I remained sensible, just, and I walked both of those days up Wernside with my son on the Saturday, followed by a nice loop of the peaks in between Settle and Malham on the Sunday, so Atamaya Scar, Ryloaf Hill and Kirby Fell, which I did with Beanie. It was a breezy Sunday, so much of the high-level BGR banter between Beanie and I has been lost to the wind noise on the microphone. However, some of the titbits of our balanced appraisal of our friends' running abilities remain, and also some of the unfair slagging off we gave them as well. Laser sharp focus. We talked about Tim. So on, on the day, I was supporting Tim on leg three, and they arrived slightly ahead of schedule. I'd made us slightly high schedule by around battery to and then spending at least five minutes building on hot the Vaseline my eyebrows. But I was so impressed by the way that Tim was just mentally so tough and so strong. We talked about Tano. I mean, Tano is probably a more gifted runner than me and he's certainly about two or three stone lighter than me. Uh, much smaller and bird-like, so he has a, a, a lot of advantage there. Over the course of leg three, had moments where he appeared to be struggling to take on board food or drink from what was a really hot day. And yet, when we all met them at the boot hall at the very end, he looked pretty fresh. I know. I came for a pint. Couldn't believe that, really. Yeah, and then decided that actually having barely eaten over the course of running for 67 miles, decided he was a bit peckish. We found the one remaining open takeaway in Keswick. He bobbed his head round the door. It actually looks a bit grubby. (laughs) Went to bed. Pretty amazing. I quizzed Beanie, obviously, about his intentions, and he'd decided to write himself out of a full BGR attempt at this stage. He'd signed up to run the Lakeland 50 in aid of motor neurone disease charities, in tribute to a Bradford City player, Stephen Darby, who'd been diagnosed with the condition at the age of 29. I decided that I'm going to be as much as 
service to Mark as possible. Um, partly selfishly, because it will help me get the train towards that 50 mile race. Yeah. Basically, because it's Mark that kicked all this off four or five years ago. And I feel quite grateful to him for introducing us all to each other yeah. and making this nice weekend happen every year. So I want for at least two legs this time to be really genuinely super useful yeah. to him and support him um, and see where it takes us. Mark, our esteemed leader, received a number of backhanded compliments, snide remarks and barbed comments. I don't know that I'm necessarily a better runner than Mark, but certainly on his recent times for 5k for 10 miles, he's running, uh, I can't run any faster than he's running, um, but historically I've done a, a marathon much faster than Mark, so I sort of feel like I have... Take that, Mark. <laughs> Bang! <laughs> From what I understand, is it's in our group's folklore, uh, the first attempt that he made was such a sort of naive balls up of a, a, an attempt. Now, he's been unkind to balls up through <laughs> He's now the ultra realist, you know, so even when he probably is or, or was much fitter and much more capable this summer just gone, he decides now I'll wait another year. Whereas the last time he went off in a you know, yeah. supported by his brother with no cagoule and so that that night I was on like two duty so I turned in to my plush uh, bed in Keswick just as Mark and his brother Mike were setting off their attempt and the rain was absolutely hammering down outside and little did I know that Mike running waterproofless yeah. and then Mark, our actual attempt from memory, gave him his waterproof but I think Mike decided quite early that he made an error and then woken. The story of his brother Michael's arrival, wet and bedraggled at 3am to steal Beanie's bed and later all his dry clothes as well, is always fun. Sadly, the end is lost to the wind in this instance. Never had a <laughs> Once we're out of the wind again, we've got just enough time to put the boot into a friend of Beanie's called Theo, who was there on that first ill-fated 2015 attempt. One of our other runners was wearing a pair of Ronnie Corbett-style glasses. <laughs> it turns out in sideways wind and rain, it doesn't work very well. And all those little decisions that you don't get them either all right or basically right, I think. Yeah. yeah. And we turn the attention to me as well. At the moment, I feel like I'm uh, a luxury player. I'd like to ask you what um, you think in terms of your role. I'm not running at all at the moment. Uh, just started doing this sort of running downhill, walking back up routine of drills to get my Achilles re acclimatized to running. The idea being that when you run down the hill, your Achilles doesn't have to stretch because for your heel to kiss the ground, uh, it doesn't have as far to go because the, you know, the hill is shortening that distance. And then when I walk back up the hill, it has got to stretch that full distance, but I'm only at walking pace then, so I'm not putting a lot of strain to it. So I'm doing that. And I'm recording this sort of podcast diary, trying to chart our progress to build up. So I kind of want it to be realistic in that I think that any group of people attempting the VGR would be made up of people with real lives and real failing bits of fitness, or someone will be more keen, more nerdy, someone will be more gloomy, more uh, uh, sort of realistic, whatever, about the prospects. And yeah, so might as well diarise it all and now I'm going to get to the get to June next year on the basis that Mark's definitely doing it and uh, we all definitely want to be a part of it and I think in my head at the moment that I'll just set off with him on leg one oh, really? and see how it goes and then, I, then if I end up supporting him for one or two legs 
I am stopping, then fine. Uh, and if I end up carrying on, then great. But only, only if it's not drawing on his resources. Yeah. So I don't want to slow him down, and I don't want to mean that uh, people are supporting me more than helping him. So I don't know. I'll just be interested to see how it goes. But I sort of feel like it, I can't really do a whole podcast for a year and then sit in a car in Wasdale again, waiting for people. No. So, uh, and I just want to get fit and get running again, really. The other topic of conversation besides ourselves was the interview I'd done on the Friday with ultra-running legend Nicky Spinks. So did Nicky appear to have super-duper kit then? Uh, no, when I saw her, she was dressed in jeans, an old Reebok sweatshirt, pair of Crocs. Yeah. And just finished a morning doing uh, beef farming. On that Friday morning, which was the 23rd of November, my 13-year-old son and I got up at the crack of dawn and headed north in a hire car for some father-son time, a visit to the grandparents and a hilly walk. We incurred the wrath of his school and my wife because I didn't call in sick for him to legitimise our Friday off and she had to field the aftermath and I drove too fast through Horton in Ribblesdale and got a speeding ticket, which was a pain. But other than that, the weekend was successful. The first stop on our northern road trip was the farmhouse kitchen of record-breaking fell runner Nikki Spinks. She is a working farmer, so she invited us in at lunchtime. After she'd finished looking after the cows, we'd driven via a sports direct to pick up some running tights for my son and enjoyed sausage sandwiches, enviously eyed up by her dogs. We had cups of tea and we had a great chat about Nikki's running exploits. So, in a podcast about Bob Graham Round, you need to have the head of the royal family of uh, Bob Graham, so uh, I'm in the kitchen of Nikki Spinks. Hello. Hello. Thanks very much for agreeing to talk to me about the Bob Graham, which I think is something that you probably have a lot of affection for and feel sort of, I don't know, maybe, maybe protective of uh, even uh, because you've done it several times. And uh, and are you on the on the committee of the Bob Graham Club? Is that, do you have a role in that now or something like that? Are you a secretary? No, the- I'm not on the Bob Graham Club, but I am, well, I am sort of, um, I'm honorary president, vice president. I think of the Bob Graham Club, right. which basically my duties are to hand out the certificates at the Bob Graham dinner. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> which, when I found that out, um, I was yeah very pleased to do. Yeah. And I, I love going along, and it's one of the best evenings ever to hand the certificates out to these really happy people. So. Yeah. Is it a good night? Is yeah. And yeah. do most people who do it, who manage to finish a Bob Graham in under 24 hours and therefore get entered into the club, do most people go to the dinner? Yes, I think at least sort of 75% of them yeah. turn up, yeah. So it's a biannual dinner at the moment. Okay. Um, so there wasn't one this year, in 2018, so there's going to be one 2019. So... That's where I'll be next October sometime. And will Killian <coughs> John be at that? I don't day? know. That would be interesting. Yeah. What yeah. did you make of his his round? Were you did you know it was happening before it did and like a few days only because I'm friends with Martin Stone and he was organising it. Mm. So he said, um, and yeah, I could actually watch the tracker on the day, which was exciting. So that's all I knew. I don't know Killian personally. No. And uh, I couldn't get... Well, not that I could have kept up anyway, so I couldn't get to the lakes to see him. Killian seems like a lovely person. Mm. And, and in the interviews, he seems very gracious, really really enjoyed meeting these sort of old fell-running yeah. legends and things as a part of it. And taking Billy Bland's record, he seemed to do it all very humbly. But is there a bit of, a bit of sadness that he can sort of fly in be shown round and, and get the record without being an authentic Felsman. I think, yes, it definitely was. Um, yeah, there's part of that that really to do a Bob Graham, I do think he should have gone and wrecked it. I mean, he, he wrecked it what, the, in the week before I think he did it. But on the other hand, he's, he did seem such a genuine guy and everybody warmed to him so much that mm. I don't think there's any hard feeling towards him for that. Big news. I got a top 10 on a Strava segment on Ilkley Moor this morning. 
81 seconds long and I collapsed in a heap after, but I'm having it nonetheless. Am sure Nikki Spinks will be impressed when I show her. Smiling face with smiling eyes. I am very sure Nikki will be impressed when you show her your segment. You write a great blog about your exploits and you tweet. You do have films made about some of the bigger things that you do. So you must sort of either accept that a bit of it is necessary or quite enjoy documenting it. I enjoy doing like the, the obviously I enjoy being Innovate sponsored and getting like free shoes but yeah. and and stuff to test as well so I can actually help the product develop um, I think that's just as important as getting like the free shoes to wear on races and things I really do like actually testing and giving feedback on the on the products before you know a couple of years before they're actually um, brought out and um, yeah the, the films and everything I think I just because I started from being not a very good runner and just and have worked hard and have built myself up I sort of want to show other people that it's all possible you don't have to be Killian Jorner you don't have to be a sponsored like a properly full-time sponsored athlete you know I've got a full-time job as well um, and it's it is possible for normal people to do great things if they want to <laughs> you're 51 now mm. um, but you didn't start running until you were in your mid-30s so did you know through school where you were kind of did you not do cross countries and think oh I'm really good at this and, and think about it earlier did you not show sporting promise mm, I did but at the school I was at at Glossop Glossop Comprehensive didn't really have well they didn't have a running club um, we just ran on sports day and on sports day I was picked in the sports to be in the sports um, team and I went and did the 1500 or 1200 or whatever it was however many laps of that circuit I remember doing and yeah and I won because nobody else, none of the other girls could actually run that far let alone <laughs> run it fast yeah <laughs> um, and that was without trying because I didn't do any training whatsoever I was just because we were brought up on a farm in Glossop so I was running round the fields to go and get the ponies in and running like a kilometre to go and see my friend on the next farm right things like that so yeah naturally I could run but it wasn't really as a sport so no I never really got into it as a as a youngster at all probably if a teacher had said oh you're really good at running here's a running club there's a running club in Glossop you could go and join then maybe I would have done but yeah you know as a teenager you don't really think of those things so you went to university and you kind of go through normal life and then what starts you in 2001 deciding thing oh, I'll start um, running well I left the farm quite sort of obviously fit and fairly slim about nine stone and then got a job at ICI in Manchester and the weight just sort of piled on because obviously I stopped being quite as fit and I was although I wasn't overeating I wasn't doing half anywhere near well any exercise right so I think after a couple of years I just started running three times a week to keep the weight off and I enjoyed it but I never did any races I was just running on on my own and that's how I sort of continued on really while I was at an office job and then when I met Steve like here we were farming I didn't have time for running so then I didn't do any and then 2001 some friends that live up the road they were triathletes and they were doing sort of thing and I just got a bit oh that sounds nice you know to go and do that and running and yeah. exploring so I started running around here just exploring locally and me and Steve used to go down to the bottom and then try and run back up and you know as we got the being able to run further and further back up the hill yeah you sort of feel good about yourself and then I joined Peniston Footpath Runners as a club. And did you do usual local mm. 5Ks and 10Ks and things like that? I did Leeds Abbey Dash and then Dewsbury 10K and then I'd entered the Great North Run. And in that summer while I was sort of, because I'd never run the 13 miles before, I'd got up to seven. <laughs> and um, and then I, I found off road running, you know, fell running yeah. in that summer. And, and once I'd done the great north run i think since then i've done well maybe about two three 10ks and maybe one more half marathon and that you know i haven't done any road running right and so does, so. does do your times for half marathon things like that matter to you at all you know does it or does it sort of just about being in a big event where 
it doesn't really matter what the distance is because it's so hilly or it's 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 a race that you want to win rather than a time that you want to have yeah i mean for the classic lakeland classic races where i've done say five or six of them i write the times down and compare each year but every year the weather and the you know the conditions and, and what i've done the week before and things like that always affect but so long as i'm round about the same time give or take yeah. i don't know 15 minutes even on a foul race uh on a 20 mile foul race yeah you can be out by 10 10 minutes either side depending on the weather and how you're feeling when did you first do something that was to the layperson ridiculously long well i suppose 20 miles in in a foul race is, is several hours isn't yeah it? So equivalent to doing a marathon, really. Mm. So that's Marsden to Edale. So when I joined Penniston Footpath Runners, they were always talking about this Marsden to Edale race. And I think I first did it in 2003. Did you straight away kind of go, oh, I'm much better at this than I am at doing yeah. 10Ks? All summer we were wrecking it and I upped my mileage because I hadn't done 20 miles before. And we left Marsden and I was nearly at the back because I was setting off slowly. Then we got up and over Black Hill and then climbing Torside, I just started catching people. And I didn't think I was going any faster than I was when I set off from Marsden, but everyone else had gone slower. Right. And it just went like that to the finish. And that's when I thought, actually, I enjoyed all of that race rather than a short 10K where I, I don't know, I couldn't remember enjoying them. <laughs> no. And did other people go, wow, Nikki, you're really good at this? Yeah. Because straight away I, I was sort of being fourth lady and, you know, reasonably good with not much training, actually. And that's when I sort of looked at what I was, started looking at what I was doing in my training, cut out the junk miles and started doing more speed and hill work. So you took it quite seriously from yeah. that point on? And yeah, I just wanted to get better. Right. I guess because you got the bug. And then did you set your sights on other big events? Did you then... Well, the Bob Graham. Right. That was the next thing. Yeah. Yeah, I just went, I want to do that. <laughs> there was a guy, Andy Plummer, in Penniston Footpath Runners doing it. Well, he'd had a couple of attempts um, and he was, ha he was attempting in 2005. I must have decided about October, the October before, that I wanted to do it in the June because then I, I, I sort of put in a few key races and um, asked Dark Peak if I could join you know, their attempt in June. Dark Peak is Dark Peak Fell Runners, a Sheffield running club for South Yorkshire and Derbyshire, renowned for organising team attempts at the BGR each year. They successfully get quite a few people round using all their wealth of experience and the group effort. I only asked them in April, so yeah, you know, I'd sort of set it up as what I wanted to do. I went a few trips to the lakes. And how do you train? Do you do loads of research about it? Do specific training or do you just have a pattern of running that you enjoy doing that sort of fits with life and your, your job? I think a bit of both. So yeah, if I'm doing a really mountainous, like 100 miler or around, then I think I need to spend the, like a long weekend, like this weekend, getting as many as many miles and as many hills and basically being on the hill for, for 12 hours for Saturday and for Sunday um, because that's the sort of event that I'm doing and when, then when I did the Joss Naylor I looked at leg one which is from Pooley Bridge to Kirkstone Inn and it's all runnable and gently uphill and I just thought that's not me at all I'm, I'm, I'm not very fast I don't like running uphill yeah um, so I, I designed some speed sessions around the local golf course around here that just emulated that, that ground over there and I used to go and do speed and that, that really helped. I, I, I was actually surprised how much easier I found it on the day than what I thought I was going to find it. How much time do you spend working as a, as a farmer in a week? It varies a lot. So in summer, because obviously it's daylight till 10 or something, we tend to work till sort of seven or eight. Okay, so it's kind of all, all day working, yeah. Yeah, that's the lifestyle. And then how much are you spending training in a week? Although I'm self-employed and I could probably train during the day, I never do. I always, it's always just in the evening. I think okay. I, I've just got that mindset that daytimes work and evenings yeah. my time and weekends as well. So Mondays, Thursdays and then one day at the week's probably. So it's either three or probably four days i rarely i rarely run five days or any more and do you do uh, really long runs are you going out for two three hours at a time or? i try and get one in a week yeah okay. 
all of us are trying to juggle lots of things. You know, you know, I'm guessing then that you're not spending a lot of time watching TV or... Oh, no. <laughs> you, but you obviously do quite a bit of research about what sort of training. So you must spend quite a bit of time doing the paperwork almost to do yeah. the, the planning for these events yeah. and things as well. So I research stuff on the internet a lot. Lots of Bob Graham schedules and maps. Bought the Wainwright books when I first wanted to do the, the BG. Just to learn the routes, really. Did you know the lakes well? No. Okay. No, not at all. And now do you? Yeah. Well, I know the Bob Graham area very well. Yeah. Uh, the way some races go across some of the land as well and you know, hit other hills as well. So you thoroughly apply yourself to all the prep for that Bob Graham and then how was your first one? A shock. Right. Leg one was okay. Leg two was a bit fast, I think. And then leg three, I felt sick across sort of the Langdales because um, it was four o'clock in the morning and it just doesn't really agree with you. Mm. But I just kept plodding on. I never, re I never thought I'd never do it. I wouldn't do it. I needed to stop. And I wasn't actually sick. I just felt really rough, which is actually worse sometimes. Yeah. And then um, there was a, a guy from Dark Peak stood on the footpath before Pike of Stickle and he just said anyone want some black coffee and immediately I want I just thought I want that and I went back and had a tiny little cup of black coffee and it settled my stomach and I was I was off right. it just and, and I think from then I've just realized that don't just don't give up on your stomach because you can you can have something like that and it can settle your stomach you just need to get out of your doldrums yeah. <laughs> in your brain and start thinking what, what could make me right again. How are you psychologically? Usually really positive. Right. And I have, if I'm not positive, I tend to think I've got a sugar, I'm having a sugar low. Okay. And the first thing I try and do, it's a horrible one spiral, isn't it? Because obviously you're not feeling positive, so you don't do positive things to make yourself feel better. Yeah. But if I can, then I'll think, right, take a take a gel and in sort of 15 20 minutes the, the world seems a bit brighter <laughs> did, did you work on that your, your, your mental um, positivity or are you just no i think i am anyway? i am yeah but no I, do, I i work on it in events because you can spend hours in that sort of doldrumy state while you're not looking after yourself yeah and then it's probably quite hard to pull yourself out you, you know, you've done a lot of damage in those two hours by not eating. You've probably get, got behind schedule, so that's m made you even more depressed because yeah. you're behind schedule. Um, you get further and further down, and it's further to get back up. So yeah. The sooner I can get back to feeling positive, the better. And, and do you do that yourself, or have you got kind of key people? You know, I've, when I've watched the film of your double, Bob Graham, you know, there's people that you obviously are good old friends who've done the logistics and support for you lots of times. So are they kind of key to making, keeping you up, recognising? Yeah, I've got a couple of people, and I'll always put them on the last couple of legs. Helen Elmore's one from Dark Peak, because we've done a lot of relays together. We can tell what we're thinking just by eye contact so she can assess me very quickly and knows how to, to sort of do something that will help me and I can ask her a question and like it's good if you're a supporter not to tell the contender everything like how far behind schedule they are but on the other hand when I ask how far behind schedule I am I, I want to know and she knows to tell me the truth yeah and then we discussed, like on my, my BG record, we discussed um, Leaving Honister, if you've watched that film where I throw up, it's Helen that's walking next to me and she just hands me some water basically. Yeah. She, she's not freaked out by the fact that I'm still throwing up. Yeah. <laughs> she knows I'll want a drink of water when I finish. You know, I say, what's the situation? She said, I think you can get under 18 hours. And so that, that all, all that, all I needed was that and I tried, you know, I pushed and got some time back, but I didn't make under 18 hours, but... No, six minutes over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have all your big attempts and things been just you as being the contender? The BG I did with Dark Peak, so there was eight of us set off and four of us got round, and that actually helped me being with those other people, my first one, but... For the paddy, I thought, no, I'm too near the wire. And if we slowed down every time one of us felt a bit poorly and waited for the other one, then chances are neither of us would get around. Mm. So I, I'm quite strict now that I don't want 
people trying to join me. I think also you do try, you know, you get the people who, who won't put in the hard work and then they, they let you do all the organising and then go, oh, I'm feeling really great, I'll attempt with you. It's just not the done thing. And so I always try and put people off when they're going to do that. Like when I, you know, I sort of put t tried to put Tim off, but when I saw how him and Tano were working it, I thought, yeah, this can work. They both know that they're not to wait for each other. And yeah. I think it does help if you're trudging along feeling crap. I remember on my first BG, I was doing this and I looked at the guy next to me who was also attempting and he looked fairly bad as well. And I said, how do you feel? And he went crap. And I thought immediately I felt better because mm. <laughs> it just helps being in that thing together. What sort of motivates you now? You get some records, but as you get older, getting records is not going to be as easy because there's younger runners who, mm. who've got age on their side. So you've got these bigger challenges now. You kind of set doubles and things like that. Is it just to see what you can do? Yeah, I do just want to see what I can do. And also, so with that BG record where I was trying to get the under 18 hours, I then thought, right, I'm no good at this going fast lark anymore. I can't, I'm not getting any faster, basically. I'm getting older and I don't really like trying to go fast. It's very unpleasant. So I'll try and go longer, for I'll go slower for longer. And that's where the B double BG sort of came in as well. So you, you won the Ultra Tour Monterosa. Yeah. Which I don't think I'd heard of before. I'd heard of the Ultra Tour de Mont Blanc, but um, is it part of the same family of races? No. They're not connected at all? No. Well, only by Lizzie Hawker, who won the UTMB. Yeah. Um, and she's the organiser of the Monte Rosa race, so right. that's the, well, the big connection. But apart from that, I suppose they're both 100 miles-ish, but the UTMR's got more climb by about... 1,200 meters and it's far more technical and it's, it's just a smaller event altogether yeah like 300 runners instead of a couple of thousand and but you were at the Mont Blanc one as well yeah supporting Damien Damien is Damien Hall he's a 40 year old I think journalist turned ultra runner who has been super successful given the fact that he does it part-time amazingly so in some really big events like the UTMB Nikki will go on to explain more and are you are you now invited to these things is it sort of open doors for you to pick off a few no no I I'm still not that well known. You see, if you look like the UTMB go on the points, everyone has to have these points mm -hmm. and everything. And if you look at my point score, because all the races I do in England aren't point orientated, my point score's not great. So okay. no, I don't get, I need to go and do some of the Centurion hundreds or something like that to get points. And, and do you, are you bothered about those sort of things? I mean, will you kind of think, oh, yeah, no. I would like to do more of these famous races around the world? Or? Well, the Barclay was one that I wanted to do, and you don't need points for that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I saw on your blog that you, you've got a place for a Barclay Marathon, so you may have just done it by the time this podcast comes out, because it's in April of 2019. So, of course, Nikki has now done it. There's a video on YouTube about it, and I'm looking forward to watching that next time I get control of the remote at home. Later in this podcast series, I'll have another chat with Nikki, and you'll get her thoughts on the Barclay there too. It sounds horrific. It's yeah, it that, does rather. I can't quite work out why so many people who do it can't finish it. Is it just that the terrain is awful, that, that you've got no maps of where you're going? So I think the, the undergrowth is pretty brutal. Right. Looks like people get sort of trench foot and stuff like that. <laughs> and I think it's just that mental thing of basically you've got 12 hours to do one 20 mile ish loop but you're on you're self-supported so it would be like i think that's like going that's what sort of the hardest thing that obviously after about well two days of maybe no sleep your brain starts to uh, play up a bit on you yeah so concentration will go quite a lot of people sort of get lost even though they've been around the lap maybe twice already they get lost on the third time because basically it's hard work concentrating for that length of time on eating looking after yourself and where you're going i saw that you had to write an essay to, yeah to get that an, was nerve-wracking yeah it seems uh, i quite like the, again the quirkiness yeah. of this thing a bit like the bob graham with its funny mm. little traditions and dinners and what have you so you have to write to the organizer and make your case yeah why, why I should be given an, a Barclay entry. And then not many people get one, and there's only a few runners each year, is that right? Uh, 40, I think, so yeah. Wow. Wow, good luck with it. That's amazing. 
So a few questions about Kit. You're sponsored by Innovate. Are there things that you've learnt over the years, whether it's Innovate stuff or, or just other things that you now, if you were going for a Bob Graham, things that would be the first thing in your kit bag? Well, a pair of mug claws. I used to wear, oh, I can't remember what they were called, 290s, old grey shoes, um, mud rocks, I think they were called. But, um, and then when they brought the mug claws out, I just started wearing those. And I've always worn a pair of those for the Bob Graham. Would you change your shoes and socks a lot if you were doing a round? No, I, I tend to leave my feet alone if they're not complaining. Okay. So I wouldn't change my socks unless I felt like I'd got loads of stones in my shoes or anything like that. If I do that scree slope down into Wasdale, I do tend to stop and take the stones out of my shoes down in Wasdale because it's not worth trying to do sort of seven or eight hours with stones in your shoes. No, so yeah, a, pair of, a decent pair of shoes and a decent waterproof because the first time I did the BG I'd got an old A6 waterproof that must have been about I don't know five years old and I'd washed it quite a few times in and it basically wasn't waterproof so I froze yeah <laughs> I froze and got soaked and that's not it's not good for you so yeah decent decent well you need a decent waterproof for wrecking because you tend to do that in winter anyway I, I was surprised I don't know why I was but when our friends Tim and Tano did it this summer they didn't really carry anything with them you know because they mm. had support runners who carried everything so are you, is that always the case with you you, don't, you haven't got a pack with you someone else is carrying food and water for you I think it depends I sometimes like to have a bit of a small pack with me just a tiny sort of little race pack with a bit of food and a head torch or a map and a compass in it something like that and what do you like to eat do you take gels and high-tech sort of stuff or are you like no I'll have a sausage well, sandwich <laughs> not quite sausage sandwiches but I started off being really scientific years and years ago then realized you can't physically eat the amount of calories you're going to use so you're going to end up in calorie deficiency so I eat quite a bit the week before and then on the day I just tend to have um, a set sort of food and I'll, I'll put the same give the supporter the same bag for every leg and it's just basically the tonic bars, brunch bars, and then rice puddings, fruit salads, baked beans, normal food, and then some jelly babies and crisps. And do you just drink water and then, or do you drink sports drinks? I've got you know, the high five. I tend to make that up as what I call energy drink. Yeah. So I'll have two bottles. One will have water in it and one will have energy drink, but it'll be sort of watered down. It won't be at full strength because it just tastes disgusting and upsets my stomach and are you good at <clears throat> making yourself eat and drink or do you need someone to be badgering you no i'm pretty good unless i'm in a little bit of a doldrum and then i need a badger because time just passes without you realizing that half an hour's gone past yeah and you haven't eaten anything and is that what you you know so if you were if you're doing something that's going to take you 24 hours are you a kind of yeah it's half, half an, an hour, hour every you know, something to eat yeah and i'll I'll have gels, I'll have usually two per leg if, if I've got a big hill coming up or if I'm running down to a road stop. So I'll eat properly down there, pasta and stuff, but there's a big hill obviously, usually after a road stop there's a big hill. So I'll have the gel running down to so that it'll, kick, it'll have kicked in by the time I'm going back up because okay. the, the proper food won't have done, it'll take a, like an hour or something to work through. Yeah. I try and keep it a rolling... So never let the stomach get completely empty, never let the energy dip. And um, I've heard people describe you as being a sort of master at pacing. When you do set off on something like a Bob Graham, how good are you at kind of keeping the adrenaline and the excitement mm, yeah, at bay? Yeah, good, yeah. Just set off at a plod? And yeah, if it feels too hard, it probably is. <laughs> right. And have you made mistakes? Are there things that you've learned where you think, oh yeah, I'll never eat that again or I'll never take that bit of the other. Well loads, every every round I learn something new, whether it's about what I'm wearing, what I'm eating, the weather conditions. Like the double Ramsey now, okay I've got I've got a ceiling twenty degrees and I won't go. Because I didn't have that before. I had I had okay if it's raining I won't go because I, I did that on one one paddy and I didn't get round. Mm. Um, so I don't do that anymore. But again now I've found that I c I can't go for sort of 48 hours in blistering heat so if I do another round and it's blistering then I'll have to call it a do. It'll be, it's really hard though when it's perfectly clear and the only thing that's wrong is it's, is it's hot. Yeah. I mean rain's rain you don't want to go out in the rain but actually when it's like that you want to be on the hills and you think it's doable but 
Yeah, well, the weekend that you were doing that was when we, um, Tim and Tano were doing their Bob Graham. And uh, for the previous three summers that we'd gone up recceing, I'd left Portsmouth in a heat wave to get to the lakes and it would be sleeting on the top of Skiddle. And I was like, what, you know, what's happened? This is insane. You know, we would be freezing cold wherever we were. So then to yeah, come all, all the way up here mm. and for it to be a heat wave was a bit of a shock, I think, to everyone. How, how did you cope with that disappointment of, of not getting the, the time you wanted for that round? It took a, um, yeah, a while, maybe four weeks to come to sort of terms with it. Actually helping Damien helped because the year before when I helped Damien on the UTMB, he was 12th, wasn't he? But at one point he'd been 10th, so when he finished 12th he was disappointed, yet as supporters we were all really happy with him. But yeah. and, and, and seeing him this time when he wanted to finish 10th and he finished 5th, he was so grateful to all his support and everything and um, it brought it home to me a little bit like I've just got to be happy with my... Ramsey and leave it where it is. I also asked Joss Naylor about what he would do, whether he'd ever gone back to do, you know, whether he'd ever been unhappy with any of his challenges, um, his records. And he's, he said he just, yes, he had, but he'd left them. And he, he said to me, you know, leave it, move on. What people may or may not know about you is that you've had cancer in the midst of your running career and it's not held you back. You know, how do you, how do you reflect? I was asking you before we were recording about injuries and you were sort of talking about you feel quite lucky that your body stands up to the, yeah. the running you do, but then it, it let you down in, in, those, in that big illness. So how do you reflect on your, your health and your, and your fitness now? Yeah, it was 2006. I don't know. I didn't sort of feel that it had let me down then. And once I'd got my head round the fact, well, I've got the cancer, but the NHS don't seem to think it's a problem and they're dealing with it, then I'm going to deal with it as best as I can as well. So I tried to do everything. Like I got ready for the operation, like I would get ready for a race. I sort of read up about how I could, what I should do afterwards. And I packed some food so I could take some my own food in and I booked sort of massages and stuff for the future and just did things like that for when I came out. Yeah, and I think when I came out and then I just wanted to run as soon as I possibly could and was physically sort of able. So within three weeks I was back sort of running and I felt really heavy legged but it just felt good to be out. And running took the, you forgot about the fact that you got cancer for a bit. So I think mentally it was, it's good for you to give your brain a rest. When, when did you feel like you didn't have cancer anymore? When did, did was it a doctor telling you? Because you, you mentioned before when when you're running and you're maybe doing a, a big round and you, something unusual happens to you, like you throw up. For many people, that would be like, oh, I'm spent. That's it. I'll stop. Uh, but you've learnt that no, my body will keep going. I just need to yeah. kind of like. So was it was it similar where you thought actually I I can keep running through this and I'll I'll carry on afterwards once it's gone. You expect the NHS to sort of say, yeah, you're fine, but they they can't because they don't know that you're actually fine. Mm. So over a period of years, I mean, five years was was pretty good. I mean, I, I just put little little marks in. Initially, I wanted to live till Christmas and, and then my 40th and then the next Christmas and then sort of five years. And then I think at five years, because... I think clinically maybe at five years you're fairly you've got fairly good chances of being all clear. That seems very you know, it's very stark to hear you say it, like I just wanted to make it till Christmas. Did you really feel Yeah gosh. Because nobody could tell you that you were gonna make it for ten years. Even with the NHS, I mean they were reconstructing me. They they talked about surgery and plastic surgery so that I would look the same as I did before. So that was also, that was a really positive thing because I thought, well, they wouldn't spend that money on me if I didn't think I was going to live. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a very, very practical way of looking at it, okay. <laughs> and, they, and they started talking about that straight away with my first operation to cut the cancer out. They were reconstructing me. So I, I did think I had sort of some, you know, good, I, I did take that as a good sign, yeah. Did you feel like it totally wiped out your running ability, your levels of fitness? 
that you had to completely rebuild? Did you find yourself different as a runner after? Well, for that, because I did the Paddy Buckley, the unsuccessful one, before the cancer, throughout the recovery, I was actually still going to Wales and because I was determined to do it a year after. And when I, when I attempted the Paddy a year later, I got around, but now I know I was still recovering because mm. just the feeling in my legs was so... I just felt heavy-legged all the time and just tired all the time. I was always at the back of the group, never felt very springy or anything. I think in 2008, the year after when I did the Charlie Ramsey round, felt completely different. Okay. Felt, yeah, light and springy and not all the way, obviously not all the way around, but, you know, yeah. And you raise money now. You're just giving page at the moment we're recording this. was just shy of 18,000. Now, in January 2020, that total has risen to £21,030. That you've raised yeah. for Odyssey, which is an organisation that kind of yeah. works with people after cancer. So they give, they give a break, a week's break, to people that have had cancer or are sort of still going through the, the cancer. And I think it's just a wonderful thing because, I, like I was saying, you're never really told, oh, yeah, you're free, go. And even if you are, you're not the same person as before you've had the cancer because some stark reality sort of smacked you in the face a little bit. Yeah. So it's good to get, I think it's a brilliant idea to get all these, peop these people together because it also helps when you've got cancer to talk to people that have had cancer or got cancer. They just see it in a different way. You can joke about things that normal people wouldn't they'd like go oh god what are you joking about that yeah. um but you have to sort of joke through some of it and find some you know bit funny sometimes so i think it's a brilliant charity and what's your motivation so Bar barclay marathon uh Markley marathons yeah uh, is is the spring and then uh, are you still sort of thinking maybe of little trips to wales <laughs> right over the winter to um train for the the Barclay maybe attempt a paddy sometime. I should have noticed this massive hint that Nikki was planning to do a double paddy round, which she did go on to complete in May of 2019, the first person ever to do so, and also then the first person to complete double rounds of Britain's three classic 24-hour mountain running challenges. But I didn't see it. Which is your favourite of the, of the rounds, Ramsey, Paddy or Bob Graham? I think uh, it's always between the Paddy and the Ramsey because the Ramsey's really remote and I, I do love the big hills and the, just the views that go on forever of mountains and mountains. But then the Paddy's just so close to my heart really because I, I used it to recover from my cancer. Uh, I've, I failed in getting around it the first time. I learned so much from it. I sort of love that gnarliness of the Welsh hills as well. So the Welsh and the Scottish Hill is completely different. Now, Wales is just full of history. Like Paddy Buckley asked me about what I, if, if I could pick one photo for him of the Paddy Buckley round, and it took me eight, well, it didn't really take me ages, because as soon as I started looking through, I thought, it's got to be the quarries. You're going through the quarries in the middle of the night is just amazing to think of all those miners trudging all the way up those steps every day to even clock into work, let alone doing a day's work, and then trudging all the way back down. Yeah. And the Bob Graham, do you still, you know, support runners on it? Do yeah. You still, does it still have a sort of a special place in your heart sort of thing, an affection for it? That semi-audible yawn is not for me or Nikki, it's my son, who'd sat patiently listening to our running chat for ages, but was flagging by this point. Yeah, because it's, it's the first one that I did. They've just got so much history about it. And also you, you're seeing all the different sort of ranges. I call them personalities because they... There's like five legs and they've all got different personalities and you see different sort of walkers on each of those ranges. What, what does, uh, finally I suppose, what, what does running mean to you? Is it just exercise? Is it a bit of a kind of spiritual, calming, peaceful? Is it a vocation? Is it all sorts of things? What, how would you sum up running? Sum up running. Well, it's all of those things, yeah. I mean, I think what I would do if I couldn't run, well, I'd certainly walk and I'd probably take up some other outdoor activity. But, yeah, it just encompasses everything that I want to do. So I hope I can keep on running forever. Thank you so much, Nikki, for inviting us in to have that honest and personal conversation and for the delicious sausage sandwiches as well. 
Nikki had another great chat with me a few months later, like I said, about the Barclay Marathons, which you'll hear in a few episodes' time. Next week, radio presenter, best buddy of Chris Evans, runner and author of two running books, Vassos Alexander is our guest. You're in uh, folklore in our gang because I think I'd emailed you about meeting to do this interview and you said that you were in the lakes doing repeats on Kirk Fell. That was tough, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Who does that repeats was... on Kirk Fell? Kirk Fell is bonkers. Yeah. Because we were there, because the family were there, and I just thought, oh, just, you know, it's so pretty and perfect isn't it it just looks like triangular like a like you know if you were going to draw a fell you just draw that kind of like it's a, yeah. it's, a it's an a without the, the line of the good, it's a capital a but then and it's got that path up middle from from wasdale wasdale head and and you said well i'd go i'll go up there and i said i'd do how many did i do three or four scott on oh wow you know my, I mean, you think you'll run up the whole thing and you can't well maybe some people can but i can't yeah so you run up about half it and then you're, you're hiking up the other half and it's really steep and then you come down I came down I went up to the top came down on the left came round give myself a little bit of running on the flat by the river there and then back up and down and back oh god it was tough but one of my favourite ever runs and here's another of his favourite runs put me on the downs by the Jurassic Coast and I'll be there three hours four hours with the dog and I just, I'm so happy. I'm so, I'm literally, I literally feel like I could run forever. I don't care if it's uphill or downhill, but you know, look at this place. And, and the only thing I've, you know, whenever I told my wife I'd be back, but sometimes I get up before dawn to start these runs so that I, I bought myself already three hours before anyone else wakes up. Yeah. And so then if I want a five hour run, I'm only asking for two hours, which is only breakfast for the kids. I love that. I love that feeling. And especially a run where you start uphill immediately, so we hire cottages sometimes around there, and if you go straight up or down for the first 10 minutes, yeah. then something happens to your legs where you just feel a little bit bionic for the rest of the run. Johnny Brownlee once told me, he always starts a run uphill, because it just, I don't know how, I don't know what it does to the legs, but it just sort of prepares them, and, and, and then the rest of the run is, is that much easier. Vassos is the most positive guest. He's the perfect uplifting tonic to any midwinter running motivation blues you might be suffering at the moment. And if he is not sufficient, Mark's audio diary will lift your spirits too. Had a great weekend in the lakes, um, totally clear, not a cloud in the sky, and a really sort of weird mix of snow and howling winds uh, and beating sun, which uh, which was good. Managed to um, make my feet um, completely soaked through and buggered, and uh, I'm completely burned as well. Um, but I had a fantastic time, and yeah, looking forward to uh, the next lot of training.